Look at it with me. Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised them from the dead. And all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our, the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's as far as we'd gotten last week. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you into the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and would want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, well, then let him be accursed. In other words, let him go to hell. As we have said before and now, I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Do I seek to please men? If I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. But I made known to you, I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me, through His grace to reveal His Son in me, that I might preach Him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now concerning these things which I write to you, indeed, before God, I do not lie. Afterward, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they were hearing only he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy. And we glorified God in me. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I know that Paul himself would say, this is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance that you, Christ Jesus, died to save sinners of, who, of whom he considered himself chief or worse. But for that reason, he was shown unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on you and receive eternal life. And somehow in that unlimited patience that you continued to display and offer, you raised up Paul to be what you made him to be. And Lord, in this room, there are going to be challenges represented in each of our hearts, some of which we're willingly laying on the table and some we're not. We may be fearful. We may be hesitant. We may actually just, to be honest, love our sin. But Lord, 
I pray that you soften our hearts, that you open our ears, that we could hear you the way you want us to hear you. So I commit tonight to you, and I do pray, Lord, that you would do a radical work here in our room, in our hearts. As we open your word, Lord, immerse me in your Holy Spirit and come upon me, that you would do through me what I cannot humanly do and speak to every one of us. May there be every person in this room, myself included, that just says, wow, you are such a personal and real God, even from what you do in our hearts tonight. So speak profoundly. Take us beyond words to the truest of ministries. Jesus, in your name. Amen. I would say tonight, as I would any night, please don't just believe me, don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the Scriptures. Let the Bible be the final say. Paul is writing to a church he does have a relationship with. And this relationship has been based on, uh, initially, Paul will make clear that he was suffering. He was suffering greatly. His suffering uh, physically led him to wind up at this church and that very thing that was his problem became, his, became, became God's platform. But Paul doesn't waste much time or any time. He goes right into this issue and Paul actually is thelmazo. He is amazed. Interesting for what it's worth, this word in verse 6, I marvel is a word that is only used twice about Jesus. Did you know that Jesus can marvel? That you can marvel Jesus? The first time is in Matthew 8.10 and in Luke 7.9. Same situation. Where a centurion from Capernaum or approaches Jesus in Capernaum because he actually seems to be a pretty darn decent guy. He has a servant, and his servant is greatly ill, and he has sent for Jesus to have him healed. The Jewish people in Capernaum have actually pleaded his case and said this guy really is good, and they're trying to make it sound like the guy was worthy of grace, which, of course, doesn't make any sense. And Jesus starts to head. As he starts to head to this man's house, the man sends servants and says, Jesus, please, you don't need to come. See, I have authority, the centurion speaking, a Gentile centurion, a Roman centurion. He says, I have authority, but the authority I have is because it was granted. I know what it's like to have authority because I'm under authority. And because I'm under authority, the authority that is above me has granted me the power to issue authority below me. He says, Jesus, I get where you're coming from. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. And Jesus marveled. The word, now I don't know what terms we would use here in London. I'm still learning. We would use terms like floored. Do you use terms like that? I was floored. The idea was that it was so amazing, I just almost passed out. Jesus was amazed at the faith of a Gentile. Somebody who wasn't raised in a religious environment, but much this, the opposite. Sort of gods are us, shop for whatever idol, that kind of thing. The second case actually is in Mark 6.6 6, where Jesus in this case is dealing with the Jewish people. 
And in such a case, we read that Jesus marveled. Well, it was in Nazareth, his hometown. He speaks at the synagogue. And as he does, they're amazed, the people who are going to be, who are going to use this word on many occasions, at least eight different occasions in Scripture. Uh, they're amazed at these gracious words that he's speaking, which is interesting to think that Jesus is speaking words of grace and somehow in a church, if you will, synagogue, people are amazed that gracious words are being spoken that floors them. I mean, how sad is that? But then they turn to each other and say, oh, isn't that the carpenter's kid? I mean, we know his sons, Jim and Joe and Josh. Well, Jim and Joe and Jude, actually, and Simon. We know his daughters. And Jesus is amazed. He's floored again, but this time he's floored at the religious people's lack of faith. And I mean, it's so easy to kind of go Jew and Gentile and play that kind of game. But that doesn't necessarily apply to us very much. I mean, we do have a few Greeks. We do have a few people from uh, Israeli descent. So, you know, there are a handful of people that kind of fill in those pockets. But really, the simplest truth, if we're going to just lay it out, there are people who are raised in, an envi- in a religious environment. And there are those who are raised in a non-religious environment. And I get it. In a non-religious environment, you don't expect people to start demonstrating faith in something they can't see. They've been raised their entire life to do the opposite. In a godly home, you would expect great trust. You would expect that God would be holy and revered and that people would be in awe of Him. It's fairly rare. And, And I'm not even sure I have an answer for that. I don't know why that is. And you watch people who are in love with God, who deal with situations like other people, but better in the sense that they lay it before God and they trust Him. That doesn't necessarily mean that the heritage picks up on that. Well, you'd love to think so. But here now, Paul is amazed. Paul is floored. He's floored because these people are transferring, transporting, they're exchanging. And he tells us here in verse 6, I am so amazed, floored, that you're turning away, not just the fact that you're turning away, but that you're turning away so soon. Did you notice? From him. Please hear me and please hear my heart. You cannot leave the gospel of Jesus Christ and take Jesus Christ with you. There are a group of people who have come in and what they've done is they've preached some form of false liberty. Oddly enough, creating a greater sense of bondage. Man, it's out there. It's going to be advertised anyways in every place in the world. It should never be in the church. But the people have created a new doctrine where they think it allows them more freedom. But they left Him. The Him appears to be the Father. Look at it with me in verse 6. It says, From Him who called you in the grace of Christ. If it was Jesus, wouldn't it be for Him who called you into His own grace? To a different gospel. 
And then he'll say, of course, in verse 7, it really isn't a gospel at all. Remember, the word gospel really just means good news. So what's good news? Well, sometimes the good news starts with bad news so that you can see how deep the good news is. If I were to tell Anthony, I'm sorry, buddy, but you've got terminal cancer and it's going to start eroding at your body. You have a strange disease that comes with it and your body parts are going to start falling off probably about 11 o'clock tonight. That's not prophecy. This is all hypothetical, by the way. You can all be thankful for that. And unless nothing, unless something is done, you're going to become Mr. Potato Head before the night's done. That's pretty bad news. You were to say, you know, on the other side of that, we have a cure. And that cure will completely remove this absolutely. The amount of good news that is will be the amount that he actually believes that the diagnosis is correct. Does that make sense? If he really didn't think he had any disease, he really didn't think he was in any form of peril, that's just an unnecessary jab, and who wants that? Everybody's in the plane, and you're handing out what looks like backpacks, but really, to be honest, what it is is it's parachutes, and people are going, what? why are you doing that? That's stupid. The plane's not going down. The problem is, the world is in peril. When the world is in peril, you have the one cure. But please understand that doesn't mean people won't set themselves up in the church and do opposite of that. And people will want to believe it because it itches their ears, is what the scripture says. Because it actually agrees with the flesh that puts you first. See, the problem with the gospel, first and foremost, is it just doesn't allow you to be first anymore. You can't, you can't make up your own opinions about things. You can't sort of create your own things and create your own sense of right and wrong and say that it's okay because you have to submit to somebody actually who sets the rules. And that is really rough. Who wants to do that? And you're like, oh, wait a minute, are you really saying Jesus is the only way and you're really saying that God created the universe in six days? Or you know, Some people say, do you really believe God created the universe in seven days? I says, no, I never said that. He created it in six. That's what Scripture says. He rested on the seventh. Read your Bible. You know, and, and, and the point I'm saying is this, is that the flesh wants to be first. The flesh wants to take matters into their own hands and start to claim freedom and claim, I want to be able to do what I want to do. And that doesn't work for a Lord that you claim to have. And so when someone comes up and they try to sound really smart and they use words you don't even get and they don't even know what they mean and they spin around and they try to quote some guy that's dead that doesn't even, they can't even stand up and say, hey, 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 that's not what I said. You know, because he's dead, he's not going to be able to do that. You know, if that's going to be the case, and then somehow they bring out some dusty books, and they, you know, and they say, look at this bone, and that means, and it doesn't mean anything of what they're saying. I've heard enough of those things. And look, I'm not the brightest bulb in the chandelier, but I've gotten to the point in my life where in certain areas where if a guy says stuff and it just doesn't make any sense anymore, I, I kind of get the idea, maybe it's not me. You know, I used to just go, wow, I'm just too stupid to get that. And now I've kind of got to the point where sometimes maybe it just doesn't make sense because it doesn't make sense. But see, this is the whole crux of everything, friends. This is the crux of everything. Is to do any of that, you're not just leaving one church for another. You're not just leaving one denomination for another. You're not just leaving one particular doctrinal stance from another or a distinctive from another. You're not leaving one camp from another. In this case, you're leaving God. 
For what? Freedom? For what? A right to put yourself first? And I watch this, you guys. And then tell you, it's so subtle, you kill yourself slowly. I, I watch it. There was a time back in California where the philosophy thing really swept hard. And what happened is, is that, it, and the way it sort of presents it is, 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 please hear me, we all have things that maybe we think make us feel good about ourselves. And the enemy is going to really target those. I want to warn you. So what will happen? Let's say, like, you know, let's say that Lucas is known for being strong. And then the moment he gives his life to Christ, people go, oh, Christianity, that's for weaklings. And he starts to go, wow, well, if I'm going to be a Christian, I can't be strong anymore. See how that works? Oh, Naomi, you're socially gifted. Well, don't you realize that Christianity is for losers? And she's like, oh, man, I can't be popular. And, and, and the way that works is because the Lord wants you to feel good about yourself because of him. It's Christ's esteem. And if it doesn't work that way, you get in a lot of trouble. So one of those areas is the area of being smart. And there's always going to be a group. Always be careful of the group that says, if you're a smart Christian, this is what it looks like. That's like saying if you're a strong Christian, this is what it looks like. Or if you're a popular Christian, this is what it looks like. Anytime it starts appealing back to one of those other things again that puts you first, it's, in comp- it's competing with the word Christianity at that point. Does that sort of make sense? And so what happens is you say, well, this is the smart Christians. I tell you what we do. We talk philosophy. Oh, we don't go out and share Jesus with people anymore because, you know, that's for like those simple-minded people that change the world. But for us, we're going to go sit up somewhere and we're going to talk about, oh, yeah, do you know what you hear about this? Well, I just happen to memorize all the C.S. Lewis books. And I just, you know, and it's not like there's anything bad with C.S. Lewis. It's just not the gospel. And all of a sudden you have these people and it's like everything is like, it becomes like incense and candles and this and that. And by the time you're done, you don't even know what the heck you're thinking because they don't know what they're thinking anymore. And you know the way you watch it is they come in the moment somebody has to tell you, I'm okay. Like, funny, I didn't ask. Why are you telling me that? And the first thing you watch happen is joy leaves. Because in God's presence is the fullness of joy. And what happens is when you start trading Jesus in for this, I want, to be, I want to be philosophical. I want to be, you know what we're going to do? We're going to be eco-Christians. In other words, what that really means is we're going to make sure that what we're about first and foremost is recycling and making sure everything's, I mean, our church is going to be solar-powered. Hey, our church is powered by the Son of God. I just want you to know that what happens is things move on to these areas and it becomes like we're like a, a social issue Christian. What that means is all, what we're all about is injustices. And we're going to, hey, look at those things are fine. But listen, Jesus has to be the center. Are you leaving him for that? Doesn't that sound kind of dumb? And Paul looks and he goes, I'm floored at you guys. You guys should know better more than anyone because... When I showed up with you guys, I was weak and I was trembling and I was sick. And you guys were like, Paul, if I could give you my eyes, I would. I'm like, thanks, man. Can't. No, like I'm your enemy because I'm looking at you guys and somehow that same compassion. Oh, well, that leaves two, of course. Because you can't be compassionate and put yourself first. And the same people you used to, your heart used to break over, now you cross your arm and you're like, whatever, that's probably a lie. And the eyes roll where the heart used to open. And you know what those look like? Symptoms of a person that has left him who called you into the grace of Christ. That's what it 
looks like. And you know what the problem is? We get so numb that we have to get angry to feel something. We have to get anxious to feel something. Where we used to feel just brokenhearted over people because we, we cared. Instead, now we're quick to condemn and be cynical. And those things that were amazing, well, we can't be amazed anymore because that's like what kids do. Right? Now we have to look grown up. No, you, you know what? If that's what it is, then let me be a Christian Peter Pan for the rest of my life. Because I, I want to be in wonder. Because Jesus says, don't even think about claiming the kingdom of God if you don't come like a child. You don't come with a child's faith. If you think being grown up disqualifies you for that, then what kind of growing up is that? And so Paul is listening. I'm amazed that you went and you turned so quickly away from him. For what? For this other doctrine, this other gospel, and it's not even good news after all? I mean, here's God. He's giving you everything, and he's loving you with all. He's just lavishing you with all this love, and he's caring for you, and he's providing for you, and he's, he's, he's protecting you, and all this. And you look, and you're like, you know, thanks, but somehow I still think you just stay right there. We're cool. I'm going to go over here and do this thing. And God's like, you're, well, why are you doing this? What is it? What could possibly, what could that possibly have that I don't. I'll tell you what scars, regrets. Oh, but it looks so shiny on the box until you open it up. But it isn't just him who called you. It was him who called you into the grace. Please, please, please hear me. Jesus is the only grace you're ever going to get in this sense. There is no other religion that has it. Every other religion kind of works from a logical perspective. It's an equilibrium. It's not in any way remotely equal in the scriptures. God took all the bad and gave me all the good. How does that equilibrate? He goes, how, how could you do that? How could you walk away from the one who called you into this gift for this? It's not even, it's not, it's not even good news. On this side, God says, I want to give you love. On this side, it's like, go earn it. On this side, it's like, I want to give you peace. And on this side, go try to find tranquility. On this side, I want to give you importance, and I want to show you how important you are at the cross. On this side, it's like, go find out who you are. On this side, it's like, I'll tell you who you are. You're beloved. On this side, it's like, well, I need to discover myself. And you chase after this like a dog chasing your tail until you're exhausted. And the farther you do this, the farther you turn from a God that's like, please just let me give you this stuff. Please just let me give you. Please, please just let me love you. Please let me love you. Stop resisting. I'm just trying to love you when you're so stinking cool now. So stinking smart now. So stinking free or whatever the word you want to use. That you're too that to just humbly take the love I want to give you. And Paul looks at me and says, you realize what you guys are doing? You are moving away from your only cure and hope for something that makes you feel good for a moment and makes you, puts you first again. And this is how Paul feels about it. He says, I don't care if it's an angel. If it were me, whoever preaches something like that, well, then let him go to hell. I don't care if it's an angel. Let him go to hell. 
I don't care if it was your family. Let them go to hell. No, it isn't like what Paul says is let them never repent and let them burn. The point is, that's how important it is. To what degree something is a danger is to what degree the force is used to protect. For my children, someone comes at the door and they're acting a little bit weird, I'm going to say go. But the moment they try to actually come in and they, t- they make their agenda clear and it is for great bodily harm, the great bodily harm will be returned. And if they really are determined to try to take my children down, someone's going down and it's going to be him or me. Them or me. Because when something is a greater danger, the greater the danger, the more force is used to protect. And Paul says there is no greater danger than leaving Jesus. There's no greater danger. If you want to do something stupid and bounce back and forth, that's one thing. Still don't recommend it. But you want to walk away from Jesus and try to do it yourself, that is the greatest danger there could be. Hey, look at if you want to go someplace that's more charismatic or you want to go someplace that's more liturgical and Jesus is still the center, man, just be where God calls you. Just don't leave Jesus for something else. There was a kid, illiterate, by the way, from New York. He had been arrested before for a thing called stone telling. Oh, this is in the 1800s. And stone telling, by the way, I don't know if you're familiar with it. It was against the law back in those days. You put a couple rocks in your hat and you looked in and you told someone's fortune. Like your horoscope, that kind of thing. Now that particular guy, by the way, was arrested for it the first time. They have the legal documents on it. The second time he posted what's called leg bail. Do you know what leg bail is? He fled town. He fled town. The police were still looking for him. There was a warrant out for his arrest because he was Mr. Fortune Teller. Because he put a couple rocks in his hat and was telling people their fortune, making money doing so. He had been told about a book of the UFOs, and then he ran around telling everyone he saw UFOs. He was that kind of guy. And then one day, he tells people that an angel came from heaven and told him that the Bible was false. It had been so abused that a brand new Bible had to be written. Oh, and by the way, he didn't know this apparently, but he was also the new Levitical priest. He was actually a genuine Levitical priest and God was going to reinstate the Levitical priesthood. As a result of that, this man started to discover, according to his own testimony, the angel dictated this new book, which was very, 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 very different from the Bible by any means. To the point of now he was a god. And once he discovered that he'd get his own planet, and a handful of gals, which he was going to populate the planet with, kind of like being his own atom on his own planet. And the point he made was, an angel told me this, it must be right. We already know from Second Corinthians that Satan himself parades himself like an angel of light. It shouldn't surprise us that his servants also masquerade as, as ministers of righteousness. As a result of all of this, of course, he got to the point where, according to his own testimony, that a voice came from heaven and said, now that's the perfect translation. Now... Anyone who adds or takes away, even a character from that, is eternally damned. Well, the problem was Joseph Smith was a terrible grammarian. So there were over 500 changes made in the next few years. By his own admonition, he's in hell. And I'm not trying to be mean. I'm trying to be saying that's how that math works. But they say, but you don't understand. An angel came. And I'll tell you, you don't understand. Paul says, if even an angel comes and gives you any other gospel, 
than the one I've given you. Then let him go to hell. That's how serious Paul is about it. Well, here's the problem. So what is it then? What is this gospel that we're making sure we don't leave? I mean, if we don't know, and God, Paul says that the gospel is the power of salvation to those who believe. Listen, regardless of where the Lord calls you, please hear me. No matter where the Lord calls you as a Christian, to the homeless, to, the, to Africa, to the Brit, to whatever it is, to the geriatric, to the Chinese, to serve in a place, to, to work in an MOT, but bring, bring Jesus. No matter what He's called you to do, to cut brie and hand it out with a beret on your head, no matter what He's called you to do, every Christian is responsible for the Gospel. Not every Christian is responsible to teach. Not every Christian is responsible to prophesy. Not every Christian is responsible to speak in a tongue, except for the one that God's given them. But every Christian is responsible for the Gospel. It should be the entry level, but it's never the entry level now. Because churches don't preach the Gospel anymore. I mean, if you don't know what the Gospel is, well, this is what Romans 1 says, I'm not ashamed of the Gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. Not a power, the power. You know why people don't get saved? The gospel doesn't get preached. And if the gospel doesn't get preached, people don't get saved because the gospel is the power of salvation to those who believe. Here's the part that we do. We throw out the gospel. We give a choice. The choice they make can either save them or cannot save them. It all depends on whether they say yes or no. In the end of it all, God does all the saving, but He gives us the privilege of saying yes to it. So what is this gospel? Because I'm going to make sure you walk out of here knowing so we're going to flip to another text, and we're going to make it really simple. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Will you flip there in your Bibles, please? If the gospel is the power of salvation, and if we really believe what Scripture says, and by the way, I do, and... The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment according to John chapter 14. And he who plants on waters, which is what we are, are really nothing. Then it will not be about you. It will be about him. And the reason I say that is, you don't have to decorate it. You don't have to make it with pink flaming dancing bears or anything like that. You give the gospel and you give a choice. The simpler, the better. And every time you go, pray for that teachable moment. Can I just again say, you have a choice, you're responsible for this. And what will happen sooner? I'll be like, yeah, 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 I know, I have, a, I have a choice to make. Good. We're doing it right. See, the thing is, we're afraid. Here's the problem. You, I can teach like this, and we have a kind of nod, and as long as you don't fall asleep and drool on the pews, it's going to look like I did something okay. The moment you start doing something like, giving people a chance to make a choice, now it's like people are like, well, did he fail or did he not fail? Here's the thing. You preach the gospel to someone, they say no, you didn't fail, they failed. They're the ones who made the choice. You didn't fail because you preached the gospel. That's your part. 
Romans, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 15. Listen to this just to make it clear. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. Moreover, brothers, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and which you stand, and by which you are saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So listen, this gospel Paul preached to him, this gospel they received, in this gospel they stand, by this gospel they are saved, if they hold fast. How's that? Pretty serious. Verse 3 says, I delivered to you first of all what I also received. You ready? Here it goes. One, Christ died for our sins according to Scriptures. Here's number one. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Try that with me. Number one, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Now, I bet you could do it this time. Number one, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Did you get that? He didn't just die. Because every person who's dead before this point died. That should be pretty simple, right? He died for purpose. But not just purpose. He died for our sins. He didn't just die for our sins. He died for our sins in full accordance with the Bible. That's the first step. Imagine sitting with someone that you've known, that's a, that you know well enough that they'll listen to you if you can give them four statements. And the first is, did you know that Jesus Christ died for, and I like the fact that Paul says our sins. Notice he doesn't just say your sins. I like to include myself so people know, hey, the reason I'm a Christian is this very same thing. Christ died for our sins according to Scriptures. What's number one? Get that? Ready? Number two is going to be really difficult. And that he was buried. Second? He was buried. How's that? What's number two? Wow, that was rough, huh? What was number one? Did you get that? Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. Number two, He was buried. Number three, and He rose again on the third day, according to the Scriptures. He rose on the third day, according to the Scriptures. What's number three? He rose on the third day, according to the Scriptures. Okay, so here we go. You're three quarters of the way done. What was number one? What was number two? He was buried. Rough one, right? Number three? Beautiful. And then it says, and then he was seen by Kephas, that's Peter, and by the twelve, and then he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. And after that he was seen by James, and then by the apostles, and then last of all he was seen by me also, Paul speaking, as one born out of due time. Ready for the last one, number four? And he was seen by a lot of people. How's that? He was seen by a lot of people. What's number four? So here's one of my favorite things. You talk to some professor somewhere, and of course it's usually the case, and they'll say, 
well, can you give me any secular evidence? I'm like, right? And you go, explain. Secular evidence. Because after all, if it's a Christian evidence, apparently it's disqualified because already they're up with your slant. You know, it's like, what you're asking me is somebody that saw the risen, living Jesus Christ, but then recorded it and wasn't a Christian. He's like, yes. Think about that for a second. If you saw the risen, living Jesus, how could you not believe? Well, that person was secular, but then he met the risen, living Jesus, and now he believes. Yeah, well, of course he believes. Now, of course he believes. He met the risen, living Jesus. Figure it out. I need secular proof. Yeah, well, a secular guy didn't meet him, or he would have been floored. So listen, you sit down with somebody and say, I know we really maybe have now talked a lot about religion, and I want to talk about religion and all the politics. Please hear me on these four things. Jesus Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. He was buried, and He rose again on the third day, according to the Scriptures. Then He was seen by a lot of people. Will you accept His gift? Well, what gift? The gift for your sins. He died on the cross for your sins and rose again to give you new life. Will you accept that gift? Well, what do I have to do? Well, let's pray. Romans 10, 9, and 10 says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. So, why don't we do that? Confess Jesus as Lord and put the trust that's in our heart upon the fact that Jesus died on the cross, according to Scriptures, was buried, rose again on the third day, according to Scriptures, and was seen by a lot of people. And watch what he does. And you're like, but that sounds so simple. How am I going to convince them? You don't have to convince them. The Holy Spirit does the convicting. That's what Jesus told me in, in John 14. We just have to give the Holy Spirit room. And they go, what happens if they ask a question and they say, I don't know. That's fine. You're not God. They're like, well, explain something deep in the deep or something in the Magnala whatever universe. You're like, how would I know? I don't know. I've never been there. I'm not running the universe. I don't have to answer that question. What about the Crusades? I wasn't there then either. How old do I look? What about the Pope? I don't know. He doesn't invite me over for dinner. He's never given me a birthday card. Has he given you one? Well, I heard this story about a story about a story about a guy. Well, that's great. You're going to bank everything on a story that you heard? Oh, I heard a story about a guy that met a unicorn. Here's the point, beloved. The people who changed the world in the first century were not known for their brilliance. They were known for their faith. They actually kind of believed if Jesus said it, it must be true. And then they did it and it worked out. And then we want, let's improve upon that. And you know, the moment we think we have to argue, how many of you are like, I don't even want to step in that ring. I'm not even going to try I'm going to fail. Well, yeah, because you're not the Holy Spirit. How could you possibly win if you're trying to do what the Holy Spirit can do when only He can do it and He's God? Don't worry, God. I'll try to do it for you. God's like, well, go ahead and fail. And then when you're done, come back here and let me do it. What if this week we prayed this very thing? God, give me the courage, which according to uh, Acts 1, takes the power of God's Holy Spirit to do that. The same one who will convict other people of that sin, righteousness, and judgment is the same one who will empower you to share 
To convict the world of sin means, oh my goodness, you're right, I need to get right. Righteousness, this is how I can get right. He's right with that. And then judgment, this is what happens if I don't, I better do this. And I'm like, oh, but I have to... Well, sometimes the Lord will use your mouth. Sometimes He'll do it without it. But one thing's for sure, the Gospel takes your mouth. Have you ever heard him say, preach the Gospel, if necessary, use words? It's necessary! Use words! And here they are. Number one. Jesus died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Christ is the word that's used there, but we get it. He's the fulfillment of those Scriptures. Remember the second one? What was it? Oh, he was buried. Yeah. Third. On the third day, he rose from the grave according to the Scriptures. And then fourth, he was seen by a lot of people. So this is what we're going to do for a moment. And then we're going to pray. Because Paul's like, look at this is how important this is. Could you imagine Paul walking to church and he's going, all right, you guys, who can tell me what the gospel is? And an entire church full of people are like, I know the Holy Spirit. I know this, and I know this politic, and I know that, and I know every worship song, but it's like, who can give me the gospel? And you're like, I don't really know if I can give you the gospel. He's like, well, then how do you know you're saved? Because I was baptized. Lots of people take baths. The Titanic is baptized. It's immersed. But it ain't saved. How do I know I'm saved? Because I have put my trust upon this. I've made the choice that Jesus Christ died for my sins, our sins, mine too, according to the Scriptures. Complete accordance with texts. He was buried on the third day. He rose again, just like the Bible promised. And he was seen by a lot of people. So here's what I want you to do. Ready? Just to challenge you. You have to go find someone because it takes two people. You're like, oh no, is this like role play? Yes, it is. So you'll say, well, I've never shared the gospel. Why not practice on someone in here? They have to forgive you. They're Christians. Okay, so listen. Get together for a moment. And just for the next couple minutes, just try to say, listen, can I just share with you four very simple things? Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried. On the third day, He rose again according to the Scriptures. Then He was seen by lots of people. He wants to be your Lord and Savior. He will you accept the gift of Christ. You'll be like, what if the person says yes? I already have. Well, awesome. Hey, when somebody comes out and they start trying to share Jesus with me out on the street, they, I guess they just assume I'm unsaved. I don't know. I'm like putting off unsaved vibe or what. I don't know. But, but in it, I'm like, well, take, share with me. And it's amazing how many times I'm like, well, can I share with you about Jesus? Sure. Well, do you realize his name's actually Joshua? That's what you want to share with me? That's it right there? Do you realize that the 25th of December is a pagan holiday? Really? I'm going to go to hell, but don't worry about it. At least I know that, that I shouldn't celebrate Christmas. That's where we're going to go with that? Can I share something with you about Jesus? That He died for our sins, according to Scriptures. Was buried. On the third day He rose again, according to the Scriptures. And then He was seen by lots of people, and they were transformed because of it. Do you want to accept His gift? Well, I'm a Christian. Well, I don't care what day you want. If you want to have Passover, you want to have this, that's cool, Whatever. Have you accepted the gift of Jesus? Because that's all that matters in the end. Everything starts there. So, for the next couple of minutes, and we're almost, this is, it, this is it. For the next couple of minutes, go find somebody and try it with them. And then ask, hey, have you accepted that gift? And then, I said, oh, let's pray for all of us for the courage to do it to somebody else. So, go. Go find someone.
Hey, if they say yes, lead them in a prayer. Just do it. I mean, might as well. What if someone says, that's so simple? You could say, yeah. Would you rather I make it more complicated? Isn't it great it's simple? By it being simple, we could get it. Now, See, I'm going to ask a brave question. How many of you, was that the first time you've shared the gospel with someone? Can you show me? Now it's my chance to pray that it won't be the last. Congratulations. Do you realize that there may be more people in this room who actually are ready to share the gospel than in some churches that have thousands? 
Isn't that sad? You have the one answer. And there are people out there that need to hear it. And my prayer is going to be really simple. Give, love people enough to give them the dignity of making that choice. Love them enough to let them know this is the most responsible choice they'll ever make. The most important choice they'll ever make. And then give God room. And if they say no, when I'm out there on the street sharing with someone and they say no, say, can I pray for you? Maybe you won't want to pray with me, but can I pray for you? Most of the time they say yes. It's amazing when someone's like, I don't believe in God. Can I pray for you? No, don't do that. Why? If he doesn't exist, why should there be a problem? When I pray is God, keep them alive long enough for them to change their mind. And I'd like them to know they can still do that. My wife accepted Jesus Christ kneeling beside her bed listening to the U2 Boy album. And it wasn't because of the U2 Boy album. The gospel had been shared before that point. The Holy Spirit was relentless until she finally said yes. The issue is not whether they say yes at that moment, but be ready. If they do, try not to go, what, really? Some of you, you already know that might happen. But actually, well then let's pray. And if you do share with someone and you want backup, text me. And I'll pray for you. I'll pray for them. You can even just say, PT, her name's Janice. She said yes. And you'll get probably a big wahoo, praise the Lord, response. Let's pray for Janice. Or, Pray for Chris. He said no. Well, then let's pray that Chris changes his mind. Holy Spirit, go get him. Sleep well tonight. You have the privilege. You have the privilege of being part of the greatest story in someone's life ever. Think about it. Every person that knows Jesus has a story. That story is laced with beautiful, 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 beautiful people who have beautiful feet, according to Isaiah, because of how beautiful are their feet, which by pretty much the nastiest part of a Middle Easterner is the idea how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Beautiful are the feet upon the mountaintops of those who bring good news. Do you realize what it's like to have any person say, and then... Raymond here said, I was going to kill myself. I hated life. I was miserable. And then Sam talked to me. And then Dominic shared. And then Bruno said. And then Len said with a cracking voice and fearful. But he said, hey, man, can I just make it simple and tell you? And then 
Jesus. Pray with me. Lord, I am so stoked for what you're going to do. I'm ready to marvel in this room Every person in here now has displayed their ability to share the truth that sets any person free that is willing to make that choice. So God, please, tonight, I pray now that you give us a greater love for people. That, Lord, whatever has interfered with our compassion, you get us back to being intimate with you. That we could feel like we should. Our hearts would be broken and say, Lord, give me the opportunity. And we don't like awkward. We're not fans of awkward. But I can say this, God. I know that if we pray... Lord, provide the opportunity where it's not awkward, where it's like they're rolling out the red carpet for us to share. Make us ready. And that we would love the person more and love ourselves less in that way of trying to preserve and save our own life rather than loving someone and seeing their life saved. So Lord, I recognize that the same guy who wished that same hell upon himself that Paul said about and even an angel speaking the false gospel. That, that, that's, that Peter said that same thing about him when he, when he cursed in the, uh, in the garden denying that he even knew you. It was the same guy who cowered in that fear. It was the same guy who couldn't stop sharing the gospel once your Holy Spirit came upon him. And if you could do that with Peter, you can do it with us. Lord, this isn't in our own strength. The gospel is simple for your glory. Your Holy Spirit does the convicting for your glory. And it's your strength. It's not ours. So please now fill us with your Holy Spirit and make us the people you call us to be. And today I pray, Lord, for an avalanche of texts. People say, pray for this person. They said yes. Pray for this person. They haven't said yes yet. Give us the kind of love that would give people the dignity to make that choice. I pray right now, Lord, that you set a fire here that lights up this glorious city that is desperately in need of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when people say nobody gets saved in England, let that change right now as your servants share the gospel. People don't get saved without it. One way or another, they need to know it. And now, Lord, that we have it, send us out even tonight to a roommate, to a friend, to someone we have listening rights to. We would love them enough to lay that choice out. And give them space to make it. Space to let your Holy Spirit convict and convince their heart. So Lord, please 
Give us that love as we surrender ourselves to your purpose now. In Jesus' name.